If you're happy with the same old ways of dating, if you enjoy sucking at communication, and you have no desire to improve your romantic life, then our podcast might not be for you. But if you want some out-of-the-box ideas to deepen your current relationships, broaden your sexual horizons, develop a better understanding of yourself, or learn more about non-monogamy, then you've come to the right place. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. And this is the Multi-Amory Podcast. On this very special episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're putting together a collection of some of our patrons' favorite moments from the show. So we recently asked our private patron group for suggestions of what some moments were that stood out to them from the show that they would want to see in something like this. And now we've put it together for you. Yeah, it was a little hard to compile because I think for a lot of people, I know for myself, it's like entire episodes are my favorite moments, you know, like the Radar episode or Triforce episode or things like that. And those are things that it's very hard to pull just a short excerpt from. Right. So, yeah. So what kind of did our best to scrub through, find some good moments, hopefully a little bit of laughs along with some <laughs> insights and some gems to toss your way. Yeah, it was really fun to see what people picked for their favorites as yeah. well. There were some moments I was like, I forgot about that. Yeah, I mean, gosh, I feel like every single episode we do it, it's in the can, and then I forget all about it. <laughs> and Completely. someone will be like, yeah, when you said this thing, it really resonated. And I was like, I'm glad like, because I don't remember saying it. In my it. brain, it's a bucket with a hole in the bottom. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's too much information that we cram in uh, and then like it kind of has to go somewhere and that's generally out the other ear. Yes. But, yeah. People yeah. will sometimes post quotes by by me Yeah. and I'll look at them and be like, gosh, I mean, that does sound like something I'd say. But, <laughs> but I don't remember saying it. You know, all the time when if people post quotes from me, I'm always like, Oh, that's really funny. What? What was that about? No, me too. Yeah. <laughs> Why was I saying that? Yeah. Was I saying that too? Yeah. I don't remember. Yeah. I like that you called it some, like a very special episode of Multi-Amory. It reminds yeah. me of like when you'd watch sitcoms as a kid or like Full House, like they always had to include the lesson at some point, right? Yeah. In every episode mm, of Full House because it right. was always like typical multi-camera sitcom, joke, 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 three, three jokes per page, you know, like the standard, <laughs> uh-huh. standard yeah. rubric uh-huh. for, sit- for sitcoms in those days. Um, And then at the end when the lesson shows up then the serious music mm. comes in the serious really heartfelt yeah. piano music as they're explaining to the kids like why it's not okay to steal or shoplift or whatever right. and it's not okay to or they like and they like yeah. apologize to each other and then it all mm. feels good the audience claps and then we're back to joke 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 yeah, yeah. that's kind of what we do here no but um <laughs> recently i i guess our email um, alerted me to the fact that it's almost two years that we've been on Patreon. It'll be oh, two years wow. in June. Oh, wow. And yeah, that's that was kind of cool to see that. And it also made me be like, wow, like, you know, it's been two years since this thing started. It, this community started. Mm, yeah. And yeah. that's, you know, definitely been our best uh, outlet to kind of like talk to and get feedback on like what people are enjoying about the show, maybe even the things that they're not enjoying. And for us to mm-hmm. kind of, you know, it, it change things if we need to based off of that. So and get suggestions for stuff and like get this. suggestions. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Although ours isn't going to have heartfelt music at the beginning. It's going to have the. <laughs> yeah. Not at the beginning. Maybe, uh, yeah. Stick something in there. Mauricio. No, <laughs> if there's a good moment for some piano music, yeah. you know, stick that in there. Exactly. <laughs> 
All right. Well, we're, we also have not yet heard this compilation yet by mm-hmm. the time, like at the time we're recording this. So we're also looking forward to listening to this with all of you and talking to you about it in the Patreon group. Yeah. So I guess with that, have at it. Enjoy. I wanted to get into it, and this is potentially challenging just because it's men and women that I'm about to talk about. But I, I, I know as a female bodied person, I have felt objectified, you know, by men all of my life. Mm. And yet I have had a lot of partners who ask me the question or, or just say, like, I want to feel objectified by you in sex. And how often I say to myself, like, I have no idea how to do that. Yes. I, yeah. Yes. We had a lot of conversations yeah. about this. Sure. Um, yeah. Okay if I shared. Yeah. Did you want, yeah. Did go you for want? it. Okay. And yeah. No, it just basically I want I wanted to ask the question, like, how the fuck do I do that? Mm. Like, yeah. is, are there tools? Are there good <laughs> yeah. ways to go about approaching that in a way that will be, you know, great for my partner? I call it taking as a service. Hmm. Yeah. If you can really drop into like not touching them how you think they're going to love it, but really, really drop into like what turns you on about their body and how can you really take it? And it's hot when they know that they can give you the gift. of Yeah. Yeah. And vice versa. Once you really get into taking, then you can be objectified and actually feels good. Sure. Because you are going, yeah, it's like take pleasure in my body and my pussy and my ass, you know, whatever the thing is. Right. Yeah. yeah. I just think, is that, yeah, do you yeah. want to add to that? Yeah, I like, mean, it, it's, it's such a beautiful thing because it, it is so very common to, to hear that from women. That is like, I've been objectified my whole life and it doesn't feel good. And the reason it doesn't feel good is because you didn't agree to it. Sure. Yeah, Jews. <laughs> and when you do agree to it, it feels fucking amazing. And also... You know, you may have partners, men or women, that yearn for that. They yeah. yearn to feel taken from and sexy mm-hmm. and desired. Mm-hmm. And so when your body is being used as a tool for someone else's desire, that's a beautiful thing. It's like one of the most nourishing and healing things as a man to feel taken from in that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's yeah. something also that in your nervous system that can become healed and nourished, like on a deep level. So if you have had, um, things in the past that have been felt really wrong, there's a way to bring it back in to actually feel really good about yeah, it. Yeah. And there's a lot time. of deep healing there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's funny you, you mentioned that cause I had an experience kind of on the opposite side from what Emily was talking about at the workshop where, where we were doing the exercise where you would partner up and ask to do something to the other person for your own pleasure. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. we're talking about. And uh, may with, I do this to you for right, my pleasure. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, my partner asked, she's like, could I sit behind you and just kind of like touch or squeeze like your shoulders and like your muscles or your arms or your chest or whatever. And, uh, you know, it's like, sure. Yeah. And I had this weird thing of, of at first feeling like, oh, I'm getting a massage or something. Right. Mm-hmm. And then being like, wait, no, this is for her. And I just had this, like, this doesn't compute. Like, I'm just sitting here and she's getting something out of it. Like, as a, as, as a man, I feel like, for the most part, my body has been valued for what it can do uh-huh. and not Aww. just what it is. Wow. Yeah. And that was this... Yeah, just like, yeah. I feel like women, it's very much been the opposite. The opposite. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, I thought about the fact that when it was that part of the workshop and, and I was trying to think of, like, what would I want to take from a male partner 
for my own pleasure. And I'm like, I don't no know because idea. I've been so yeah. conditioned to like, he's the observer. I'm the observer. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the consumed <laughs> thing. He's the thing that does oh, the consuming. Yeah. Interesting you know? language. And there. like, I yeah. think that a lot of us have been conditioned to kind of, to learn how to take pleasure in that one way or another, even you, slip into enduring or slip yeah, into oh, just sure. enduring it, you know, mm-hmm. because this is just what the dynamic is. Mm-hmm. And so, and the thing is that it's like when I sat with it and it's like, I know there's definitely a deep part of me that would love to take, especially from a male partner for my pleasure, but has like never even been, that's never seen the light of day really. We can practice when we're done. That can be (laughs) such a hot like date night, like even setting the tension of like, Hey, there's something I really want to play with you. Would you be willing to play? And they can go, yeah. And then you can kind of just lay out, lay out the ground, you know, the parameters and try it even with simple touch or massage or kissing or whatever. It's like, I I want to remind your partner too, (laughs) as men, the doing is hard to break. Yes. Your yeah. partner will reach up to participate right. and you have to smack their hand. <laughs> when, when, when she's taking from me, she'll just like, I'll reach up. I'll be like, oh, and it just smacks my hand down. And I'm like, oh yeah, right. I'm the fuck toy right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And like, loving it. Yeah, and loving yeah. it. And then when you can really drop into that space, I honestly have never felt anything more nourishing sexually than, wow. than being in a totally non-doing, mm. pleasurable state. Mm-hmm. And actually it took a long, like quite, not a long time, but a fair amount of time to rewire my arousal. Yeah. Because yeah. laying right. on my back, yeah. I couldn't even really access an erection or arousal huh. for a bit in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just had to really drop in and relax. And so that's something that often, um, like I will present to male clients when yeah. they're having issues with, with erection, where sometimes you don't want to be doing, your body's not in a space of doing and actually blood flow to your penis or your cock or whatever is, is about relaxation. Mm. So if you can get out of your mind and into your body and relax, and all of a sudden there's this access to arousal that's a different one than we're used to. Yeah. Than we're, than we're used to consuming. I like that you use that, like the consumed yeah. and the consumer. Yeah. yeah. That you, we're not always in that space. So yeah. there's like a real gentleness and tenderness that comes from dropping into that relaxing space. Yeah. Right, right. Definitely. Amazing. Something worth pointing out about rules Mm -hmm. is the thing with rules is I always want to ask people the question when they say, oh, we have this rule or this rule is, okay, what's the consequence for breaking the rule? And often people don't have an answer for that. Mm -hmm. And that's another key difference is that a boundary is always enforceable because you're the only one who needs to do it, right? You don't need power over anyone else to do it. It just dictates a choice that you will make about your own actions, like leaving that relationship, leaving the room, not living with someone anymore, right? There's different ways that you could enact that boundary for yourself. But with a rule like this rule, like I need to be introduced to someone in person before you have sex with them. Yeah. I don't know how you would enforce that. If that was broken, I'm really upset. Like if that's broken, that's, you have to sleep yeah. on the couch for a week. Mm-hmm. I'm like, mm-hmm. how do how do you enforce that in a way that will actually feel like that's good? Yeah. Which is why maybe this would be better as an agreement. Mm. Yeah. If, for example, saying like, we're both going to introduce any new partners to the other person before we have sex with them. So that's an agreement, again, that two people make in the relationship together. They're agreeing it's going to go both ways. You're going to introduce your new partner and I'm going to introduce my new partner before I have sex with them. 
I still have questions about that mm-hmm. agreement yeah. though, yeah. because again, that like that, I, I get that like two people are coming together to agree. It still feels like a rule to me. I, I feel like that still has the implication yeah. that like, if you don't do that, then there's going to be trouble because we can agree. We can agree that if you sleep with someone without telling me your ass is grass, we can agree on that. That doesn't mean that it's like a healthy agreement. <laughs> well, you know? but, but, but I think that, that, that that's part of an agreement. Mm-hmm. Like that's part of any agreement. Even if it's just like you agree that you're going to pick the kids up after school on Tuesdays and Thursdays, mm-hmm. right? Like any agreement, it is possible that the other person will not do it. And you will be upset and there will be fallout and you might be, you know, if there were enough of these, it might lead you to break up or something. This isn't to say that like wording it the right way or making it the Mm -hmm. right thing will make it so no one ever does anything you don't like. That's not the point of this. And I think that's why I would, I would encourage people to use more agreement language because then it's like, Mm -hmm. Hey, we said we'd do this thing and you didn't. I'm hurt by that. Let's have a conversation about that. Do we need to adjust this agreement? Do I need to adjust my expectations? Is this relationship going to work out? Like, this isn't like a guarantee that you won't have a problem. It's just saying, hey, you, we agreed to do something and you didn't. Versus a rule saying you can't do this. To me, is like, well, that if you can't enforce that, do you see what I mean? It's like a subtle difference of like a rule is phrased as if there's going to be a consequence. Whereas an agreement's more of this. Obviously, there's a consequence, but it's more personal. It's more like you hurt this relationship because we agreed to do something and you I, didn't. I don't know. Sorry. I, I just, I think I'm too jaded by working with people who've come up with some really, really manipulative, crappy agreements. And so well, I feel nervous about just saying, just if you put the language of we agree that that makes everything okay. I that's what, and that's exactly more, what I'm not saying. I think it may, requires... May I interject here? <laughs> yes. Thank you. No, it, overall, like with all of this, I think it is really important. And like you said, Dedeker, because sometimes these agreements or these rules or boundaries can come from a place of like not being good to yourself or to your partner. And so I think it's incredibly important to do the internal work and ask yourself why and where these things are coming from. Because again, it may be because your ex partner did a huge boundary violation and that therefore it became a boundary like they did something kind of unforgivable and so therefore you know i'm not going to do anything in a further relationship that would violate this boundary again so for example in this thing you may not want to be like your existence to be hid from a new partner maybe your old partner didn't tell anyone that they were polyamorous before they started sleeping with someone. And then they just slept with them. And then later on, they were like, oh, actually, by the way, I also live with this person. Mm -hmm. And so obviously, like, that's shitty and you don't want that to happen again. So maybe that's why this boundary is in place. But I think it is really important to ask yourself that in all of these instances, like, what are my internal fears or insecurities that are dictating these boundaries that I have. So, so, okay. So as in like, maybe your boundary is that, you know, you don't want to be in a relationship with someone who hides your existence from other people. That's why it feels like a value to you to be able to eventually meet in person, your metamor or your partner's partner. And it's interesting because I feel like if you do uncover that boundary for yourself, I think that means that it's easier to be more lax on that particular rule that maybe when you realize Mm -hmm. that it means like, oh, well, maybe that doesn't mean I need to meet them 
you know, every single time before you're going to have sex. Maybe it's just important to me as a value. Like I would just really want to be able to meet them, meet the people that you're engaged with at some point. Like I want to be sure that I'm not being hidden from them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I do want to be clear to to respond to what you were saying earlier, Dedeker, that I actually don't think this is a good agreement to have in a relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, I think like you said, a, more of a preference. Like I'd like to meet them at some point. I think that sure. Why not? Like I, I would prefer to meet my partner's partners. I, I guess what I'm getting at is just that none of these things are going to solve all your problems, right? Just because something's in agreement or just cause it's a rule or just cause it's a boundary isn't going to solve all your problems. It's more, I just meant it as an example to clarify, you know, what those different things could be used for. And that maybe you would decide that's an agreement in your relationship. And then at some point someone doesn't do it. You might be upset about that. You have a conversation about it. And maybe as part of that, hopefully you realize, okay, maybe this agreement wasn't a reasonable one for us to have, or maybe Mm -hmm. this, maybe not even reasonable, but just, this isn't the best agreement for us to try to have. Let's adapt this. Let's change it to be something else. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think a boundary would be something that's not like, okay, you cross this boundary of mine, let's talk about it and maybe reevaluate and I'll change my boundary. A boundary is more like we said, that kind of last line of defense, your boundary might change over your life, but not because like, Oh, but I love this person and they crossed this boundary. That's kind of what I'm trying to differentiate here as an agreement can kind of be renegotiated within that relationship, but a boundary is pretty fixed for yourself, right? Cause it's about protecting yourself. So you, you guys want to talk about some science? Yeah, hit us yeah. with science. All right. Although it's with uh, mm, yeah, old hell and old hell, old um, hell. <laughs> that's what we call her here. Yeah, right. So um, Helen Fisher, which many people probably know from her various TED talks and things like that that she's done, um, she's definitely the best known researcher today who's doing research on love and the brain chemicals and things that go on. Um, we, as well as many other people like Dan Savage or Carrie Jenkins or, uh, Chris Ryan, like a lot of us have some issues with some of the assumptions that she makes about the way people work being Mm. very heteronormative and very like the only purpose of falling in love is in order to pair bond monogamously and to have children and kind of totally discounting same sex couples or asexual people or, you know, anything else that doesn't fit that mold. But the science she does is interesting. It's just the conclusions Mm. that she makes from it that are based on her assumptions that are problematic. Um, So in this study that's the one that that she talks about a lot is a study done with um, a fairly large sampling of college students mostly who reported recently having fallen deeply in love and that what does that mean like really (laughs) it's self-reporting students in love yeah Yeah. (laughs) whatever they think that means but in the studies they did find some interesting things by doing like fmris and um, like hormone tests and things like that and they found Elevated activity in, I'm going to try to pronounce these, uh, the caudate nucleus and the ventral tegmental area, which the important takeaway there is that those are both areas in the brain that are associated with the reward system. The reward system being things involved in like addiction Mm. or in seeking out food or sex or like kind of these base desires. Right. So the reward system is connected to having, um, 
uh, like dopamine injected into your system by your brain, essentially. So the mm -hmm. idea that like, if you're hungry, you go find food, you eat the food, you feel a little rush of dopamine afterwards. Like that's mm -hmm. the pleasure you feel during and after eating. And that mm -hmm. like encourages you to keep doing that, to keep nourishing your body. Um, <laughs> to keep it. living. Keep living. And same <laughs> thing with sex, you know, we have like a dopamine release during and after orgasm. Um, and so the thing is that like, when you're falling in love with someone, when you're an NRE, uh, you definitely have this surge in dopamine. And that that's the reason why it can end up feeling obsessive because it does become like an addiction, you know, the same way that addictive substances usually cause a huge rush of dopamine that that's kind of what you chase is that like you're chasing this high and this energy that you get from this new person that you're involved with. Um, there is also some evidence in her research of cortisol of the stress hormone being involved. She doesn't really emphasize it, but I think anecdotally like definitely makes sense that it also is kind of like we talked about how there's can also be this dark underside of NRE that is really stressful and actually kind of unsettling as well. Mm hmm. Yeah, and there was a different study done. Um, Donatella Marazzi. I, Mar I'm not Mar saying Mar that. Marazzi. Yeah, come on. Use your, your Pimsleur Italian on us. I know, I did. <laughs> Donatella Marazzi. Great. That's as good as I got. Okay. Of the University of Pisa in Italy uh, showed that in 2004, that compared to single people or people in stable long term relationships, newly in love people so people probably in in nre right uh, they showed lower than normal levels of serotonin and also significantly higher levels of cortisol so huh. that's kind of similar to clinical ocd which is interesting that that it, was yes, said the that lower levels of sense. serotonin yeah of serotonin because are, yeah because yeah, serotonin is what kicks in to make you feel satisfied sure um, right it's that like that's kind of like <laughs> damn it sorry I I Hamilton to again. bring it back mm -hmm. to the, kind of like when i listen to hamilton it gets stuck in my head and there's no serotonin release because i'm not done listening to it um and yes. i want to keep listening you to never it will be satisfied i'll never be satisfied anyway right. to bring it back to a more reasonable example like with the food thing that like you seek out food because you're hungry you eat the food you get the dopamine release and then afterwards you also get serotonin that helps mm. you know that you're that you are satisfied and you are sated mm. um and then in addiction that serotonin release doesn't happen. That's why you need more and more and more and more is because there isn't that feeling of being satisfied. And I guess that makes sense with the clinical OCD thing. The idea that doing an action doesn't satisfy that feeling and you feel like you need to do the action over and over and over and over again because it doesn't actually get satisfied. Well, serotonin, yeah, is also related to just kind of a feeling of well-being in general. Um, mm -hmm. which is why like a lot of the medications for right. depression uh, or even anxiety are affecting serotonin either by synthesizing it or by stopping your body from reabsorbing it so that more of it stays in your system and is more freely accessible. Um, so it's a pretty big deal hormone and it's not just a, with all of these, they're not just like a more is better or a less is better kind of thing. It's finding a balance, right? Um, so I thought this was really interesting, this, that, that study there kind of, that they had previously years before the Helen Fisher study had seen this thing with cortisol being higher, meaning like that we're more stressed. I thought that was yeah. really interesting. Um, and then also to go along with, with, um, kind of the making bad decisions thing, <laughs> there was, uh, uh, Andreas Bartels of the university college in London did a study that showed with, um, in newly in love people. And they also did the same study with mothers looking at their children. Oh, interesting. Um, they found that the neural circuits of the brain 
what they were looking at was not what like hormones were happening, but what areas of the brain were being activated or more importantly here being deactivated. And they found that the neural circuits of the brain that are associated with critical social assessment are suppressed. Like essentially so when looking, they're at, looking at the person that they love or at their child, the parts of their brain in charge of like being critical of someone socially Interesting. is actually suppressed. Or in um, the case and that of you're... some of our mothers, it's heightened. Well, <laughs> your mom might be maybe, a special case. I, maybe once we hit puberty, then it gets heightened. Maybe. But when yeah. you're a baby, less so. But yes. Right. But this is basically showing that there is also some scientific backing to the idea that we'll overlook faults mm. in someone that we're in love with. Why it's a mother's love. <laughs> that's, that's why they say that. Why they yeah. say Only a mother that. can love that. Yeah. <laughs> Human. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. So who wants to start us off today? So I'm the first one. Um, and this comes from Josh. Uh, my partner told me about an NPR uh, podcast that he was listening to, which was The Hidden Brain. And on it, they talked about this amazing thing called switch tracking. And Jace came up with a bunch of different like, names that for it. the thing that they do with railroads? Yeah, no, exactly. Tra- is that track switching? That's track switching, right? Well, switch I tracking. I thought that was train spotting. Train no, spotting? that's anyone. I thought that was cross hatching. Yes. That's a new one McGregor movie. <laughs> Moving on. Also Danny Boyle. But um, no, what it is is that it's it's a thing in communication that kind of causes a breakdown in communication. So someone may give you feedback, and then your reaction to that feedback just completely changes the subject. So the conversation starts on one track, and then because of somebody's like emotional reaction or some feedback it changes to an entirely different track and then people are essentially like talking past each other at that point i'm confused you go ahead okay is this something that people do intentionally as in you bring up some kind of criticism about me and so i intentionally try to kind of fog the issue by bringing up something else or is this an unintentional thing that people do i would say usually it's a completely unintentional thing but i i I mean it's a thing that i think happens a lot in communication where you end up like saying completely different things it's as though you're like talking to each other but at each other and like nobody's actually getting through anything that they're speaking about because you're both on completely different wavelengths so I created yes. So so I'm just I just want to clarify. So yes. this is different from just changing sub like changing topics. Well, it is. This is something else. It is essentially changing topics, but also like changing the subject in the middle of the argument that may be happening. Um, but you may not think that that's what's occurring. You may Let's like see. think like, okay, I'm addressing an issue that I think needs to be resolved, and then your partner may be like, well. I have an issue that I think is related, and yet you two may be speaking about something completely different and then therefore talking past each other. So it's kind of like you bring up an issue, and my response to that issue is to bring up a different issue that in my head I think is the same thing, but it's maybe not actually the same thing, and then we're both arguing actually for kind of... In circles, yes. In circles, and maybe for entirely different issues, not realizing that... We're doing that. We're doing that, I say. And so, yes. Yeah, can you give us an example of this? Well, I created an example for you, and you two are going to say the example. You made a script for us? Yes, I did. And I (laughs) color coded it. You wrote a script? I color coded it and everything. Wow. I'm not good, just so everybody knows. So, this is, is this like the, the, 
the first like multi-amory radio drama. Radio drama. Yes. And we need so to get some foley up in here. The two of you are going to be the radio dramatists. Wow. And okay. I, I mean, you both you both have been actors in your day, so we both have gotten in some arguments too. Yes. So I expect greatness. Just a handful. I expect like real human drama right now. Okay. Okay. So okay. Please. I mean, gosh, doing it cold, cold. Your cold reading. Yeah. Cold reading. Okay. You this took is... a bunch of classes. Yeah, I've taken on some this. cold reading yes, classes. There you okay. go. Right. So come okay. on, give it to me, baby. I mean, my instrument isn't at one hundred percent. Just you know. But... Okay. Yeah. Uh, can you set the scene for us? Maybe. Okay. The scene is set. Uh, a kitchen table. Uh, mm. Two people. Uh, quietly eating their dinner, a couple, and um, gently a person places his uh, his fork down. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm trying to do some foley. Exactly, and then he um, clears his throat and <clears throat> says the following: "Honey, I want to talk to you about something. I really feel like our time together has been limited, and when we do see each other, it hasn't been the quality time that I need when I'm with you." You're generally on the phone, texting your other partners. You seem pretty spaced out when we're together. No, I take a long drag of a cigarette. Yeah. That's what'll explain my, my husky voice this week. There you go. See, I don't understand why you aren't appreciative of the time that we spend together. You know, now that Anna and I broke up, I see you three times a week pretty regularly, and you aren't appreciative of the time that I spend with you or the things that I do for you during that time, and instead I feel like you're always focusing on the negative or what you're not getting. I really just think the time we're spending together hasn't felt that special or fulfilling, and I think that we need to focus on that right now. I know, and I'm saying that if I'm with you and I'm around you, then that should be appreciated. You're always nitpicking me with all the ways that I'm failing you instead of focusing on the positive. And I never feel like anything that I do is right in your eyes. I just want to feel like we're getting the best possible time together that we can. I know, and I want to feel like you appreciate the time that I do spend with you and what I do do for you. End scene. Oh, <laughs> drama. It was, it was too right? real. Some... No, exactly. Oh, man. So this scene illustrates Jace. He just really feels like he's not getting the best quality time. Mm-hmm. And again, when we've talked about things like what our love language is, maybe Jace is his quality right. time. So Jace's complaint is in this situation is like the time that we spend together Has is not, not felt... quality time. Exactly. Like you're checked out yes. during that time. And I want you to you know, be present. Yeah, right. essentially. And then okay. Dedeker is saying like, "Oh my god, you're always nitpicking me. Right. You're not appreciative of the time that I am giving you and all the right. things that I feel like I am doing for you." Yeah. And right. so like I'm moving also, my schedule around, I'm prioritizing time together, exactly. but like you're right. nitpicking me about so, me on the phone, okay. So what I think is interesting about this is from the point of view of my character here. Mhm. From my point of view, the conversation is about our quality time and how I don't think we're spending it. And so to me, it just sounds like she's avoiding the issue or she's getting defensive or she doesn't want to admit to it because she must know that she's wrong or something. Like that's how it feels from my point of view, because I think the conversation is about our quality time that we're spending together and, you know, how it hasn't been as quality as I'd like. Exactly. But then from your point of view in that story... like. For me, it's about like you always criticizing me or you not appreciating me. Yeah. I see. And so it's like the fact that like I hear your criticism and my response to it is to bring up a new issue, not like intentionally being like I'm going to try to throw him off 
betrayal just yeah. being right. like this feels relevant to this but actually it's an entirely different issue yes instead of staying with his issue and trying to address that specifically you're saying like well you always do this to me and you're always you know nitpicking me or not being kind to me or yeah being i feel like i've way. done this a billion times sure i mean i <laughs> had this done to me have. a billion times also in arguments yes in I, relationships i absolutely feel like i have as well well i think what's interesting about it is that like, unlike when I was asking before, is it like changing the subject? Mm -hmm. Like, kind of, but it's that the two people are both talking about a different thing back and forth to each other. Exactly. So it's not like, like someone brings up something resolved. else and now we're talking about that. No. It's like we're just, like you said, talking past each other. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, like, one person stays on one track the entire argument mm -hmm. and the other person stays on the other track and never the two shall meet. For a long time now, we've been fans of AdamandEve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on AdamMail.com and Eve'sToys.com, which are their site specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store, and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. Yeah, what you got for us? I'm going to talk to you about bids. Like bidding $1, $2, $3, $4. No, cattle. You'd make a great auctioneer. Cat, they're bidding, they're auctioning them off to farm sanctuaries. Yay. Good. Good. Yes. Thank you. Um... Right. So, so bids. And what, what I mean by that is a bid uh, is any attempt from one partner to another for attention, affirmation, affection, or any other positive connection. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is something that was um, discovered and sort of codified by the Gottman Institute. And we've talked about the Gottman Institute before. They're yeah, the ones who came times. up with like the four horsemen of the apocalypse of a relationship. Uh, they're also... Um, the stuff we talked about in our episode on the science of happy relationships, mm -hmm. a lot of that was from the Gottman Institute. Uh, they've done some really interesting things. It's very... They're relatively heteronormative. Heteronormative and mononormative. Um, so these just study specifically marriages with the assumption that the only good outcome is staying together and the bad outcome is not being together anymore. But given that, uh, there's still a lot of really cool research that's come out of this. So this particular one came out of a study where they um, they interviewed couples 
uh, like right around the time they were, they had just gotten married. And then six years later, they followed up with these couples. And what they found is that the couples who stayed married after those six years, or, you know, were still married after six years, um, they reacted positively to each other's bids around 86% of the time. And that couples that had divorced averaged only 33% of the time. Hmm. So pretty huge difference in terms of how often, and the term they use is turn toward each other rather than turn away. So if someone comes in for some sort of affirmation, affection, or attention, do you acknowledge that? Do you engage with that? Or do you turn away from that? So, okay, but my question is, so they codify bids as these, like, particular interactions, right? right? Yes. Okay. Like, that, but did you like have a what? question? <laughs> okay. Well, so um, this can look a number of different ways. Uh, the sort of basic example that they start with are, you know, verbal things are actually things you say. Um, and there's also nonverbal ones. So we'll talk about the verbal ones first. So. Okay. Basically, the the way they break it down is there's things that you can say to your partner, but then there's actually another meaning behind it. So the first example that uh, they give is, how do I look? The actual subtext is, can I have your attention? It's not that I want an answer to a question, but I want you to pay attention to me for a moment to get not your like, It's just something. like, look at me. Not like, tell me I look great. Just like, Right. I mean, that would probably be good too, (laughs) but it's right. The subtext there is I I want your attention or uh, let's put the kids to bed. The subtext there is like, help me put the kids to bed. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like, I want your help with something. Uh, This one's a little interesting is um, starting off with uh, something like I talked to my sister today or I talked to my mom today. The subtext there is I want to have a conversation with you about that. Like, will you talk to me? Right. Like, will you chat with me about this? About it, yeah. Because otherwise it's just like, cool. (laughs) Right? And that's the difference, right? it was between, Yeah. Between the, like, not turning toward your partner, not accepting the bid, is to be like, cool, honey. (laughs) Right? Right. And and I I feel like we've all done that in some extent at at some time where you're just kind of like in your own zone and you're not acknowledging that. Well, I feel it can get very subtle because it could be something like... Oh, I really want to show you this YouTube video I saw today. Or... Yeah. Sure, yeah. Or, um, oh, there's a show on Netflix I've been really wanting to check out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that is actually, like, it could be multiple. It could be, like, can I have some of your time? Can we cuddle on the couch together? Can right. we laugh at this show together? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it's but it's the, the sort of time and attention and affection and all those things that are part of it that are that are the important part of this transaction it's mm-hmm. the, maybe it's bad to call it that but the important part of this bid well, communication is transactional yeah. it is sure. back and forth yeah. Yeah. yeah um i mean a more subtle version of this would be something like um yeah i had a really terrible meeting with my boss today mm. and the subtext there is like i want to process this with you yeah i want to decompress right i want and some kind of triforce around this exactly yeah. i was gonna say Ooh, in, yeah. in, in their example here they say the subtext is will you help me de-stress and I'm like, well, knowing the Triforce a little better, <laughs> yes, maybe, but let's be clearer about totally. how they want you to help right, them do that. Right. Um, but in either case, it's acknowledging that and, and going for that. And I think um, something that we were talking about, too, is like, how can you do this in a way, even if you can't say yes to that bid right then? Mm. Right? So say you're right in the middle of something, 
and it's like, oh my gosh, did I have I shown you this YouTube video or did you see this this meme? It's it's sort of that question of like, whenever possible, can you say yes to that? Can you be like, okay, sure, like I'll take a moment to look at that, or if you can't, at least do what you can to sort of turn toward mm. that bid and acknowledge it and be like, oh, that sounds amazing. Can I watch it in 20 minutes once I'm done with this? Right. Yeah. The difference between that and like, honey, stop bugging me. I'm busy. <laughs> right? right. That's, that's very big. Pretty huge. Yeah. Um, and well, then, I, like, yeah, I have sorry, to say, yeah. like, as soon as I learned about this whole bids thing, it really mm-hmm. changed the way that I looked at these kind of interactions with my partners of like, I saw them as much more significant than I ever did before. Yeah. And realizing like when I say to someone like, no, I'm not interested in that. Or like, no, that's not my type of show. I'm never going to watch that or mm. whatever. Like actually realizing the impact of that. Of yeah. That Cause being, it's not necessarily about the thing. Right. It's exactly. Of it about, not being about the thing of it being yeah, about, I care about, man, this yeah, about turning toward my partner instead of away. Yeah. And so again, it doesn't mean that like I have to watch every single Netflix show that my partner recommends. <laughs> yes, but it you is, do. <laughs> it is about finding a way that's not just a shutdown. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Well, and with bigger things too, like sex, for instance. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that can kind of be a, like a cumulative effect if you constantly say no, 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 no. Yes. Well, yeah. Potentially. So that's, so that's the other thing I wanted to get to. Sure. Is, here's the other side of it: is being a better bid giver bid, yeah. o- bid offerer sure <laughs> bid better just a better bidder right because like with things like sex or any of these examples um you know something that seems very small and simple like uh you know how do i look i just want your attention i want you to acknowledge me for a moment that's seems pretty reasonable that you could take a moment to say yes to that and and give that however with something like sex or doing a specific chore at a certain time or right going out to do something that can be a little harder because maybe you don't have time. Maybe you just really don't want to, Yeah, uh, that it can become a little bit trickier. And so what I think they don't address as much in this, but I think is incredibly important. And this is something that we've all talked about a little bit earlier is this idea of, these these couples where they see them accepting each other's bids much more often, mm. I think that part of that is because they're better at knowing when to make the bids. When to make the bid also. That's a right. point. So yeah. with, I think sex is a good example of that, where it's getting out of your own head of just like, I want this thing right now, I'm in the mood for this thing right now, to like combining that with what am I seeing, how my partner's feeling, how do I know from interacting with them before when they're more or less likely to be interested in this? Have they even told me specifically, like, I don't like doing that in the morning or something? Mm-hmm. Like, what can you take a, a, a little step? It goes back to the mindfulness thing. Yeah. But can you take a little step outside of just your own thoughts and your own desires to go, is this something that I think they'd be receptive to right now? Yeah. And then approaching it then, or being like, okay, I'll, I'll wait and maybe talk about that more later. And obviously, this is something like with sex. Hopefully, you're having those conversations in your relationship radars, and you know can can get better with that. Right. But, but I think we, that's a good example. But we had a big discussion about this before this episode about like how do you say no to a bid still in a way that's turning toward your partner. Mm-hmm. Right. And I I think for me, when it comes to something like sex, like if a partner, you know, if I have a partner who like 
pitches sex or like tosses offer we don't know what it is is it offering a bit is it giving a bit makes no, right? we should have a bit. figured out um, the terminology place a bit. yeah i like that i'll wager five dollars like, if i don't want to have sex at that moment of finding out what's the way to make sure that the message is still i think you're sexy i do enjoy having sex with you yeah mm-hmm. just not right now well there's um, a big difference between just outright saying like no and right. or saying I am interested in something with you, maybe not necessarily that, but let's perhaps have an intimate moment, whether that just be being affectionate to one another, like words of affirmation or laying in bed naked together and being kissy kissy. Right. So it's kind of like, because I know I've definitely, as far as the sex one goes, I've definitely been really bad at rejecting the bit of like being really rude or being really impatient or just like even like pushing their hands off my body and just be mm-hmm. like, ugh, you know, like definitely mm-hmm. like more destructive mm-hmm. rejecting of bids versus mm-hmm. being able to be like, oh, I do really like when you touch me that way, but like, like, can we do something different? Yeah. Or could we, I'm not feeling great. Could we do this at such and such time instead? Or things yeah. like yeah. that. No, I think uh, that, that example you gave, is really interesting because I've definitely had times where I'm like working on something and a partner would, you know, come up behind me and, you know, put their hands on my shoulder or maybe like kiss my ear or something. And when I'm really focused on something to me, that's like a, ugh, God, like get off of me. Stop touching me. Cause it's like distracting. Cause you're in the zone. Yeah. Cause I'm in the zone. And I, I did have a realization with that one um, a few years ago where I noticed that I was doing that and being like, why am I reacting this way to something that normally I would like? Totally. And getting to that place of being able to combine, like taking a, taking myself out of where I'm focused for a moment just long enough to kind of appreciate that and be like, hey, and give a little bit of that affection back and be like, I'm really focused on this though right now. So like, please let me mm-hmm. stick to this and, um, you know, oh, we're going to have dinner in like an hour. Let's talk then and like see how we feel afterward rather than being like, well, okay, do you want to make out for a little bit instead right now? Like that just doesn't seem reasonable to me as an alternative. it depends on the context. Yeah. Right. But that's the example yeah. that comes up that I know has happened in my life. Mm, um, I see. And so your, your example of like just like pushing them away versus like, oh, that's really sweet. I like that. But I'm working yeah. on something else right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mean, that's hugely different. Yeah. And again, having mindfulness over the situation on both ends, Mm -hmm. I think is really Mm -hmm. important. I will say it's definitely made me uh, a lot more likely to watch people's YouTube videos. (laughs) 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 Heterosexism is rampant and out there, but don't let fear lead you. Remember that there's a very powerful normative system in play that dictates what real love is and how people should live. Many will question you and the validity of your relationships when you don't follow these norms. Work with the people you love to find escapes and tricks to counter the worst of the problematic norms. Find positive counter spells and don't let fear drive your relationships. Counter spells. I love like it. We're I know, wizards. Like, we're yeah, relationship we wizards. <laughs> oh my yes. Woo. This one is an intense one because I love it. it's absolutely correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think that. And I do love that it is related to this fear thing of don't let fear lead you because I think that maybe this is a little bit of a controversial statement, but I think there are many people out there who are led either to monogamy or maybe to marriage or to having a home or to having kids less out of I really want this to happen. I really want this for my life and more out of I'm afraid of being alone. I'm afraid Mm -hmm. of 
dying alone. I'm afraid of everyone else getting these things and me not getting them, um, which is, you know, related to our wanting what you don't want episode. Mm -hmm. Um, That there can be this very human fear of my life looks different from everybody else's life, at least on the surface. And that must be a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And, And it's so incredibly pervasive it's so pervasive mm-hmm. i mean a lot of people find when they first come to any kind of non-traditional relationship or polyamory or relationship anarchy or whatever that it can be very lonely in many regards ironically even though you may have more partners or more relationships it can still be very lonely because there is still this very normative driving force that kind of dictates that what you're doing is not normal and is not going to be supported mm-hmm I just wanted to go back to something that I've said on the show that my mother said around the time when we were becoming polyamorous and it's conviction, have Mm. conviction for what you're doing. And I I cannot tell you how many times I have spoken about polyamory to people, to to coworkers, to colleagues, to, um, you know, just new friends or whomever and how having conviction about it makes people be like, shit. That's really something. That's really a thing to think about. Or even like I've had people be like, I wish I could do that. I wish I had your courage to be able to, you know, live your life, live my life in the way that I wanted to. Um, And that's a really fascinating thing that I think, yeah, if you are, if you do have conviction about the thing that you are doing, in spite of like all of the bullshit that may be thrown at you, I think you still have the opportunity to make a change and to be a positive force in, you know, I guess what we're doing here, what we have continued to do for many years. Yeah, I think that this line here, too, about the work with the people you love to find escapes and tricks to counter the worst of the problematic norms. And spells. And And then counter spells, yeah. (laughs) Um, to, To not, you know, allow your relationships to be shaped or driven by fear. And I, I do like that, too, that it's not just saying, like, be strong and tough it out. It's mm-hmm. saying, like, no, be proactive. Mm-hmm. Actually talk with your your partners mm-hmm. or your friends or your family or whoever it is that loves you and supports you in what you're doing to say, okay, let's find ways to counter these, these norms that are going to get enforced upon us. Mm-hmm. And I think that depending on what your life looks like, this could involve something like talking with your partners about how we're going to keep this secret because of potential problems with our uh, jobs or families or something. Mm-hmm. And that it's, it can, I think that can seem like being driven by fear. And I think it could be like, mm-hmm. I think some people are closeted about this purely out of fear and not out of a real need to be. Mm-hmm. And we generally on this show encourage people to come out if they think that they can, because that's going to help normalize it in the larger picture for all of us. And mm-hmm. I also find it just makes it a whole lot easier when you're out. But even if you can't be, it's being proactive and having like actively having conversations with your friends and your partners and your loved ones about this, as opposed to just kind of always being afraid. And so never really like allowing your relationships to grow or, or not having open conversations with people because you feel like you might need to push them away. Mm. If, if you start to feel unsafe at your job or in your home life Mm -hmm. or something, right. It's, it's, it's a tricky 
thing there to mm-hmm. sort of evaluate, you know, what's being driven by fear and what's proactively trying to counter mm. these things. Yeah. 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 I also was just realizing as I was saying that, that even in making the distinction of your friends or your partners or whatever mm-hmm. is already mm-hmm. kind of going against the core idea of <sighs> relationship anarchy here, which is that people don't need to be put into these broad categories and instead every single relationship operates on its own terms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, definitely. It's hard. I feel like our language makes that challenging. It does. It, it does. Really does. Yeah. We don't really yeah. have an in-between word between, you know, friend and partner to just sort of cover all of that. Just any rela- any, any human that you are related to in right. some way, not like blood related, but relating to. Because in relationship anarchy, generally the word used is relationships yeah. or, you know, loved mm-hmm. ones to mean people who are, you know, more serious in your life. Mm-hmm. But that in relationship anarchy, relationship refers to every relationship. Yeah. It's your relationship with your mailman. It's your relationship <laughs> with, you know, your, your coworkers with the person that you met for two seconds, you know, as you're walking down the street, that all of those are relationships rather than you know, our typical societal use of relationship means romance and sex. Mm-hmm. So I was going to say yeah. a partner, but that's not. <laughs> <laughs> Today is the day that multi-amory reached a new low. <laughs> you so said funny. it. You said between friend and partner. Yeah, and but you're like, the one who right said there. the word partner. It's right there. <laughs> too good i definitely want to use that please don't i really don't think that's gonna help stem the tide of stigma and people not understanding what any of this is about i'm sorry that really got me oh gee i'm glad that i make you laugh oh man good god okay Okay. so on that note should we talk about some other was so proud of us like we're getting into like such good deep meaty philosophical stuff like i just love this i'm so inspired and now we gotta bring it back gotta bring it back down to earth have you dealt with jealousy who hasn't dealt with jealousy No, I'm perfect. I float above the ground. We know. <laughs> well, I think that's what a lot of people think about polyamorous people. They think, oh gosh, you must not have jealousy, so I could never do that because I get jealous. They would be wrong. They would be dead wrong. <laughs> and it, I will say, okay, when Jason and I first became polyamorous, I would get sick to my stomach in jealousy or just at the thought that like he was going out with someone else or he was going to be sleeping potentially with someone else, and it would be all of these like crazy what-if scenarios in my mind. I just have learned to deal with it over the years and really get to a sense of also, hey, my partner is their own person, and they d- it doesn't mean that they love me any less because they're getting to go out with someone else. It just simply means that they're having an experience, and I may get to have an experience as well at a later date. And then we can come back together and uh, have a loving experience with each other. And that's really amazing and beautiful. When you it's, say it has learned to deal with it, it sounds pretty I, negative. Well, well so, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, but but come on, like, I, I think I'm way better than I ever have been. But there are times when I'm like, you know what, just like suck it up, just like chill the fuck out. It's going to be to okay. yourself. Yes. Yeah. To myself about jealousy. So it's always so difficult with the jealousy question because it's never just do you get jealous or do you not get jealous? There's so many more questions to delve into the context behind it. It's 
you know, how is the communication with you and your partner in this particular instance? Is there a history in this relationship of your partner lying to you? Or do you feel really solid about your communication with your partner? What kind of insecurities do you have? And how do you manage those insecurities? Um, like there's so, so many factors that go into what might be a jealous response, what might cause a jealous response, or how you might choose to react to it and handle it that can be so very different. Um, I feel for myself these days that, of course, like I still experience jealousy, but after doing this for 10 years, <laughs> um, you know, I think I've learned, I've learned like, what are my insecurities? What are my hangups? What are the things that I just need to heal within myself or maybe talk to my partner about, you know, my own insecurities or my own vulnerabilities? And most of the time, for me, it's, it's really, you know, I've come to this place of knowing like, oh, sure, like maybe I feel jealous, but that doesn't mean anything. Like, it doesn't mean anything. Like, maybe I'll feel a little twinge of jealousy, but I know my partner's not going to leave me. I know that, you know, like partner A and partner B, maybe they've both demonstrated to me, like, really being really trustworthy and committed to me. And, like, I know they're not going to leave me. I know that I've gotten through this situation before. And nine times out of 10, it's not the end of the world when I feel jealous. So that's where I end up these days, but that's also after a lot of time and a lot of experience and a lot of research. If you're someone who's at the beginning and you're first having to be faced with this idea of experiencing jealousy, but then just kind of having to push through it or get through it somehow, that can be really daunting when we've been told our entire lives that romantic jealousy is completely unacceptable and that it's our partner's responsibility to make sure that we never feel jealous. So I think that that is another big factor is that kind of accepting like, Yes, we feel jealous in many arenas in our lives, not just our romantic relationships. We can feel jealous of coworkers. We can feel jealous of classmates. We can feel jealous of our siblings. Um, we learn to manage those. And it's kind of taking those same skills that we used to manage those and bringing those to, that to your romantic relationships. Yeah, a big turning point for me. Well, there are two big turning points for me with jealousy. The first one was in understanding that being jealous doesn't mean that you love someone. Like that the more you love someone doesn't mean you're going to be more jealous. If you think about being in love with someone means that, that their happiness is something that you value, right? If you love someone, you want them to be happy. And by being jealous, you're saying, I don't want you to have these other experiences that might make you happy, that that's not the same thing as love. In fact, sometimes it can be the opposite of being loving to a partner is to be really jealous of them. So that was the first turning point for me was hitting that realization. And then the second one was in uh, touching on what Dedeker was just saying, that we deal with jealousy all the time in other areas of our lives with our friends or coworkers or family, and that a healthy, well-adjusted adult would be expected to deal with that in a way that's not destructive and doesn't involve throwing temper tantrums and doesn't involve cutting off those friends or family members. But for some reason, when it becomes to romantic or sexual jealousy, we think, oh, this is something you can't possibly manage, even though we manage jealousy all the time in other areas of our life. And when I tell this to people, some go, wow, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And others will say, oh, but it's different. And then they'll try to come up with some sort of evolutionary psychology explanation for why like, sexual jealousy is more important than others. But the actual truth of it is that while there are some scientists who've tried to make those arguments as well, they're coming to it trying to argue something that they've already assumed is true because their culture has taught them that it is. 
And that so mm-hmm. often these arguments or these ideas aren't very well thought out because it's like, oh, well, everyone understands that, or I just know it in my heart to be true. Reasoning. It just yeah. makes us, you know, reach these illogical conclusions or conclusions yeah. without a lot to back them up. Uh, and that there is a lot of research showing that that's not actually true, um, that the jealousy isn't hardwired into us in the way that some people will say that it is. I'll just say finally that a better way of putting what I had said before is just that I have allowed myself, I've figured out ways and tools in which jealousy does not derail my life where it may have had or done so in the past. And that, like you said, it generally comes from looking within. So you have to like view exactly what it is that you're trying to achieve with that jealousy and and it may just be an emotional response and if you can separate like your emotion from what is really happening then that's a great thing to do as well and know that like if you keep feeding it then that is obviously not going to be a productive thing to do but if you can step outside of it and try to just feed your soul and your happiness in a different way then hopefully you can get past that moment of intense jealousy if you can imagine just like, you know, if a friend has some really amazing experience that you wish you could have had, yeah, it feels shitty, but, you know, you're kind of like, ah, you know, honestly, I'm really jealous of you. It doesn't mean I don't want you to have had that experience, but I really wish I could have had that. If you can approach that in your romantic relationships, I think that takes a lot of the pressure off. All right, Petros and other listeners, what did you think? Did you enjoy it? Are you super happy that one of your favorite moments made it in? Are you super pissed at us that another one of your favorite moments didn't make it in? Let us know. The best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or Discord chat. You can get access to these groups and you can join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at info at multiamory.com. Leave us a voicemail at 678-M-U-L-T-I-05. Or you can leave us a voice message on Facebook. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Emily Matlack, and me, Dedeker Winston. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistant is Nicole Samra. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. Full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. Hey, this is Dan Savage from the Savage Lovecast and Savage Love. You're listening to a Swing Set podcast at Swing Set FM. 